morning. Something uh, special to do here before we begin the sermon, and that is that we had uh, somebody call, somebody called me yesterday and said, can you do this in the church? And I just said, yes. So um, do you remember Phoebe Jean? Who could forget Phoebe Jean? Uh, for those who are visiting among us or, or new here, uh, if you had ever met Phoebe Jean, you would remember Phoebe Jean. Um, and Phoebe Jean died not long ago. And Phoebe Jean's son, Pierre, who doesn't go here, he goes to another church, but he called me and he said, I want to get some flowers for somebody who helped take care of my mom, and I want you to mention it in the service. And so these flowers are for Carol Pilgrim, because she so much helped Phoebe Jean um, all the way through many, many months and years. Uh, Ross did as well, but uh, Pierre was saying Carol. So I think the reason, too, is Carol has her own health uh, challenges right now, and Pierre wanted me to say this to you, Carol. He said, I want you to know that my mom is still tugging your sleeve and saying, you better get better. So uh, this is a card uh, from Pierre to Carol. God bless you, Carol. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, segue from lovely flowers to evil violence and the grotesque. That's a little bit of our July series here. What can we learn about faith? How can we hear the call of Jesus Christ when we consider things that are terrible, terrifying, and horrendous? And today we take a little bit of a turn. Last week we spoke of evil and concepts of evil and the devil, mentioning that the devil or evil is never he, never personal, always it, and a third agent, not, not God and not created being. But uh, the effect of evil in our world is real. Today, the turn we take is to consider this word grotesque. You see, as soon as I say the word grotesque, if any of you read books or follow the news, you're confronted with the truth that many of the things that people used to consider grotesque in fact display the ignorance of people who thought they were grotesque more than the nature of the thing that was criticized. And so we're going to look at that this morning. That which was once thought of as scary or other. It's a childish thing, right? So if you do this now as an adult, you get nervous about it. You see someone walking with somebody else on the sidewalk, on the street. And you notice that somebody has a very profound disability or some kind of, in the words, none of the words work. Our language is still back in the dark ages on these things. Someone with a disfigurement. Someone with an obvious problem. And as a child, remember if you were walking with a kid of yours years ago and that child stares or something? And you help the child to maybe handle this moment properly? But as an adult, if you're caught in this, you realize, wait a minute, I think I'm doing something wrong here. Hopefully we grow out of these things, being shocked by things and people who are different than us. But so often we don't. And my contention is that many places the Christian church is still thinking things grotesque, and it's more of a comment on the failures of the church than on the things that they're casting as grotesque. And this story has it all over, and we'll get there. 
But I have to introduce you to the book of Acts first, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, Acts has never been my favorite book. And I've been a pastor for years and years. And I'm, I'm learning lately that one of the reasons it hasn't been my favorite book is because the way that I've taught it has in some, uh, been taught it has in some ways taken a particular Christian understanding of the world and imposed it upon the text, like Paul's missionary journey. As if Paul's kind of walking around carrying this thing and handing it to people. It's so much better than that. The Acts of the Apostles, or you could properly understand it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The whole book is about the joining together of people. The whole book is mostly about the joining together of people who don't want to be joined. People who were deeming one another unacceptable. And the Holy Spirit is doing the joining. God is bringing together, and it's not without reaction, opposition, and conflict. And the more religious people are on either side, the more they oppose the joining. To quote a great commentator on this book, uh, and uh, this is a professor that some of us here took a course with him just this week, so you're getting a lot of this. The book of Acts, the body of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead by the presence of the Holy Spirit, is the divine energy to create home, home for everyone. The book of Acts is bathed in violence. You can't get through a couple chapters without violence. Prison, beatings, murder. In Acts chapter 5, as this new movement begins, these followers of Jesus Christ who are forming a new community, two of those followers, Ananias and Sapphira, drop dead at the feet of the apostles. For what? They took some property they had and they sold it and they brought the money to this new community, but they said they were bringing all of the money and they didn't. They made a plan and all of a sudden they dropped dead. They have put themselves as a couple above the work of God. In reading about this portion, uh, one of the things this commentator said, his name is, his name is Willie James Jennings. And he said, um, it's hard to understand this violence on God's part towards this couple, but at least this in Acts chapter 5, God is telling people that they are not to be violent. They're in fear after this. And in the chapters that follow, Acts chapters 6 and 7, you're going to see more violence, but this, this will be people, people themselves picking up stones Stoning Stephen to death as he preaches about Jesus Christ. And then you know the character that that's there watching it all, right? Saul, the most murderous of them all, granting his approval. What would it take for you to stand and watch as someone was murdered and nod your head in affirmation? I guess you'd have to call it a proper execution. After Stephen is killed, Saul instigates a terrible persecution of the church, this early church that's forming. The goal is to entirely wipe it out before it takes hold. People are killed and imprisoned, dragged from their homes. You think this isn't 
relevant in our world today? Dragged from their homes, presented as threat. The violence is sustained through this whole book. Near the end of the book, chapters 21, 22, 23, this man who had nodded his approval to these murders has, as you know, by Acts chapter 9, he switched sides. He had this vision of Jesus Christ. And he becomes a follower of Christ himself. And then by the time of chapter 21, he's in and out of prison the whole book and beaten. And after, in Acts chapter 21, 22, 23, he's beaten to within an inch of his life. They're going to beat him to death. And he's spared by the Romans, and then he says he's a Roman citizen, and then he's off to Rome for their judgment. But in Acts chapter 7, after the death of Stephen, the persecution of the church breaks out. This young movement is being decimated by violence, brutality, and they will, as the story goes, be erased from history. That's the goal. And I tend to think of it, you can do this too, because you like movies. And TV, and you know, you binge watch. Well, this is like scene after scene after scene of people being dragged from where they live, taken from their families, put in prison, murdered, scene after scene in the movie of that. And so, as you're watching, you're confronted with this possibility that this movement is about to be erased from all history. Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, and the beginning of chapter 8. And then chapter 8 takes a turn. You expect more scenes of this brutality, but you get something different. You get two conversion accounts. The first is of a man named Simon the Magician. We won't consider that story today. I might make a comment or two on it. But the story that we will consider today is the second conversion narrative in Acts chapter 8, and that's the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch who has no name that we know. In the story, Philip, a follower of Jesus Christ in this new movement, who himself would have been fearing persecution, hears the voice of the Holy Spirit in the form of an angel. The angel says, Philip, go. Go to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Any place now would be a place of fear. If I go out from where I'm hiding, I open myself up to being captured or killed. But the Holy Spirit is the presence in the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit is pushing the followers of Jesus towards the Samaritans and beyond, drawing out the Gospels from them into the villages of Samaria, and the roads are which carry the people. You can think about roads right now. You would have particular ones that you drive more often than others, and you would have particular roads that you drive when you're driving a long distance, maybe to a place you vacation. Maybe you remember somewhere you drove like nine hours, and if it's a nine-hour drive, there's probably a big stretch of it that's in the middle of nowhere. This is in the middle of nowhere, a desert road. But if you think about roads, they're always about taking you somewhere else always representative of being on the way, in between, going somewhere. And Philip will, on this road, again, witness to a God whose love expands over every road and transgresses every bordered identity. The Spirit of the Lord is on the road. And know this in the story. And don't you try to tell me that the love of God can be walled up and kept from certain people who are unacceptable. 
right from the beginning in church history. God's love transgresses every boundary. And if we have made it do otherwise, then we have been the ones who are unchristian. Philip is told by the Holy Spirit in the form of an angel, go to that road in the desert and you'll find a chariot. And the story gets a little comedic from there. Philip goes and he sees a chariot. And so what does he do? It's perfect because you think, how come God can't arrange it so that by the time he gets there, when he gets there, the chariot is just parked somewhere? And so he can walk towards it, you know, keep unsweaty in the desert and say, you must be the chariot to which I was sent from the Spirit of the Lord. But by the time Philip gets there, the chariot's on the road ahead of him and he's got to run after it. And so this servant of God, this disciple of the Lord Jesus, is sent out into the desert and has to run breathlessly. I don't know if he's thinking, I'm crazy. I don't know if the party that had come from Ethiopia is looking back going, who is this man? But this is apparently ordained by God. And here's what's happening. God is chasing the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is compelled by the Holy Spirit to be the person who does that chasing. And before we even know who is in the chariot, this lowly scene, a road through the desert, a disciple is running and out of breath. And so if we let ourselves get into the story, we have to think, what is happening? Who's in there? Well, just about the last person you would expect. What we are told is that it's an Ethiopian eunuch who's in there. No name. And properly told, maybe no pronoun. Why? Because this is an Ethiopian eunuch. What's a eunuch? We're in church. A eunuch is neither male nor female. A eunuch is someone who's been castrated or was born without gender clear. That's who's in the chariot. That's who God is chasing. This person in the chariot is on the margins in every way you could imagine. Geographically, they come from far away. And if any of you have come from far away, you know what it means that this doesn't feel like your place. He's a person of color who in this part of the world, very different at this time from most of the people who would live there. He's on the margins in terms of race. He's on the margins in terms of sexuality because as soon as I say he, it's not quite proper. His difference is marked, this is a quote from his black by his blackness. His difference is marked by the fact that he is neither male nor female. So let's say their difference is also marked by the fact that they're an in-between person, identified as a servant of royalty from another land, a servant of Candace the queen. So he, this eunuch may have experienced some comfort and wealth and ease, but it wasn't because it was their comfort and wealth and ease, it was the person that they were serving. And it could, of course, be cut off at any time. They were effectively a slave. And Philip runs alongside. Can you hear the Holy Spirit? And Philip runs alongside. 
And here's the Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah about a sheep led to the slaughter. I have to try to picture it. (laughs) Philip breathlessly trying to talk. (sighs) What are you reading? And he tells him, I'm reading about this person, one who suffered and was rejected and humiliated. And I don't know who it is. Right there. There's the space. You can close your eyes for a minute now. I'll try to wake you up again. I'm reading about one who is rejected and humiliated. Killed. And I don't know who it is. This man is about to be introduced to Jesus Christ. This person, this one, neither he nor she. Who is this person in pain and suffering and humiliation and shame? Why do you think this Ethiopian eunuch might be particularly interested in a question like that? Philip now gets into the chariot. They order the chariot stopped. And now this beautiful, powerful, intimate scene. The outcast person judged by race and sexuality. And Philip, a disciple of Jesus Christ, with them now, inside this chariot. And there's about to be an intimate sermon for one. That's the Holy Spirit at work. It's just a scene. It's just this little thing that happened one day. And surely it has nothing to do with you. But it's history unfolding. Right from the beginning of the church. Right out of the persecution that could have wiped it out. Who is one of the first ones that God calls and chases? Nobody told you this. A eunuch. May God forgive us for our ignorance. Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5, right around where he was reading. Listen to the words of God from the Old Testament. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and those who choose things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and they shall never be cut off. The eunuch is being brought into a future promised especially for him. One in which he will not again be in the shadows or on the margins, but at the center. In Jesus Christ. And if we as Christians have let anybody, anybody believe anything other than this, we have not understood the depth of our faith. 
Have you wanted permission to love people in this way? Like you thought that the church or a particular interpretation of Scripture was kind of keeping people away? Well, they're not quite acceptable. After all, they are. (laughs) Can I help you? That it wasn't them that had the issue in terms of Christ. It might have been you. He's being brought out of the shadows and into the light, glorious light and life in Christ Jesus. And of course, now would be a question. You can consider it for yourself or somebody else. Have you ever, because of a particular religious interpretation, been kept in the shadows just because of who you are, just because you're an Ethiopian eunuch? Well, the love of Christ will not do that. This Ethiopian has found his body in Jesus. He is in Christ and Christ is in him. And now the water waits for the joining. I want you to do a a search and find here if you have your Bibles, okay? If you have your Bibles with you or just use your phone. You can look at Facebook and pretend you're reading your Bible. How's that? I want you to find, I don't know all the versions that do it differently, but I know in the ESV, so those blue Bibles at the back and the version we read from, which is one of the most accurate versions of Scripture translation. NIV is one of the, one of the it's not quite as accurate because they change so much to make it understandable. The ESV, I want you to find verse 37 for me in chapter 8 of Acts. Go ahead. Anybody get it? Not at the bottom of the page. Don't go to the bottom of the page on me. Verse 36 says what? Verse 38 says what? See, verse 37 isn't there. But then at the bottom of the page, it says, because what happens is the eunuch is responding and obviously being compelled towards faith in Jesus Christ. But there's nothing in the scene where the eunuch repents of anything or says, I believe in Jesus even. What the eunuch does, he seems to have understood about baptism. He's read something. He's heard something. After hearing this revelation of Jesus Christ that Philip has given him, I'll tell you the one who was rejected and humiliated, the eunuch simply says, what's preventing me from getting baptized? Here's some water. Verse 37 is added later. The original transcripts don't have it. I'm not saying that it's not scriptural canon, but properly it's taken out, put at the bottom, and they say in your Bibles, it's not really there. And what does verse 37 say? And the eunuch said, I believe in Jesus Christ. Like, it fits our conversion narratives, right? Whether he said it or not, he was clearly compelled to faith in Jesus Christ. But nothing in this conversion narrative fits the standards that I was taught growing up in the Baptist church. Where does he repent of his sin? But let's say verse 37 is there. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It doesn't even, like doesn't sound like language that would be used in this scene. Some notes. First, the Holy Spirit pushes us. If you know the Holy Spirit, then you will be pushed. (laughs) If you know the voice of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you will be pushed. The Holy Spirit is not primarily about your worship enjoyment, though that might be great. The Holy Spirit is about pushing you towards other people that you could grow in love towards people who are different than you. 
And the Holy Spirit is pushing Philip and all of the apostles. Philip is being driven to a place and to a person where he would never have normally gone. And this encounter would not have happened without, these are important words, this encounter would not have happened without divine desire. God wants the eunuch. And drop your preconceived formula for conversion. Not because I'm telling you to, but because it's not in this story. That's why. There is no repentance recorded here. There is in the previous story of Simon the Magician, but it's actually after he came to faith when he's praying for power of the Holy Spirit. Simon the Magician is not at all like this Ethiopian eunuch. Simon the Magician actually calls himself great and does like tricks in front of people and gets them to follow him. and, And he's really kind of elevated himself. And he thinks that he can use the power of God, in a sense, to get a better following. And so he's called, even after he's compelled to faith in Jesus, he's called to repent of these things that he's done. But here, there's no sign of that. Divine desire is for the person that we call eunuch. God wants this person, and it's beautiful. And I think it should be in the heart of everyone who would call themselves pastor, which is always a humbling thing. It should be in the heart of all who call themselves pastor not to tell people who is unacceptable, but to say to all of those who have found themselves judged as unacceptable or deviant or grotesque, if I could say across a distortion of God that approaches a person not with God's passionate love, but instead with human fear and judgment. If I could say across that distortion to those people who have been counted by others as unacceptable, hear this, such fear and ignorance is not the way of Christ in God. Not in this story. Not in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. God wanted wanted the eunuch as he was. God did not show up with, you'd better change. He sent one running with the message, you are loved and known by the one over all the earth. This is the message you should hear from anyone who wants to think that they are the follower of Jesus, that the shame is not on you. The shame is on those who would put a wall between you and the love of God. Forgive us our sin. Finally, there is no missionary emphasis in this text. When I was growing up and I would hear this story spoken about the emphasis would often be on something that isn't in the text. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's just not in the Word of God right there. The emphasis is on, well, this Ethiopian converted to Christian faith and then took the faith back to Ethiopia, and it really kind of started a revival there. That may well have happened, but it's not in this text. What God wants us to know about this Ethiopian eunuch is not, I got him so that I could use him, though we're all called to witness to faith. What God wants us to know in this story is, I just wanted him. I just wanted them. 
Full stop. Here's some water. Why don't I get baptized right now? What's preventing me? And any good, you know, Bible-believing Christian would say, well, there's a lot of things preventing you. (laughs) Not that long ago, people would have said, well, maybe, you know, your race, maybe your sexuality, maybe you don't quite have things straight. Let me get you to a class. What's preventing me? Now, and Philip baptizes this, this person. Bap- there's water in the desert. Do you hear that? This is the Holy Spirit working, remember? When did the water get there? And if the water was there, how come Philip had to run after the chariot? But anyway, here's some water right here in the middle of this desert road. And Philip baptizes him. And then if you read the text... When Philip is done baptizing him and the Ethiopian comes out of the water, although I picture it as super shallow and Philip's just like splashing him or something. And when Philip's done, the Ethiopian turns and Philip is gone. Disappeared. Poof. If Philip could disappear from this scene, why couldn't God just put him in the chariot? Anyway. There's no mention in this story of, okay, Ethiopian eunuch, here is what's next. Here's your job now. There's no mention of the five things you need to do to grow in faith. We need discipleship. We need people to help us along the way. But in this story, there is no mention of, here's how you're kind of unsatisfactory now and how we can make you acceptable. We're not quite sure whether you're a man or a woman. We need to get that clarified. Nope. The eunuch is not left alone. What's changed before before baptism and after? The eunuch is not left alone. The eunuch has become free. Free. And if he has set you free, then you are free indeed. And anybody who has tried to put chains on you, anybody who has tried to put chains on you, particularly those who have done so, and they've thought that they're doing that out of love, you are free in Christ Jesus. God wants the eunuch, and the eunuch wants God. And there is much in this story to show this. May we be courageous. It's going to take courage. (laughs) Because across various faiths, and in certain ways of understanding Christianity, we've uh, walled off the love going to take some courage. Come Holy Spirit. So, I don't know, Lord, I, I try to get on that road. And I go there, and I want to go there with the voices of well-meaning people who have told me all the ways that a person like this would be unacceptable. 
all the ways they need to repent or change. And I ask myself, as I'm like with Philip somehow running towards that chariot, I ask myself, Lord, what is your love? Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to at least ask the question, why was this one of the first conversions? And I know already there will be a lot of people who tell me, well, it's not the reasons you're saying. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you for your love. May we know that as you love that Ethiopian eunuch and wanted that person, body, mind, and spirit, so you love us and everyone. Forgive us for our ignorance and our all too sanctified kind of fear and hatred. Lord Jesus Christ, give us eyes to see that your love is always bigger than anyone could ever tell us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray for the offering. We'll take the offering as well. Heavenly Father, bless this offering as it's taken for your glory that we would know and others would know of the love of Jesus Christ for all. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.